But before we get to today's passage, I want to do a brief review of where we've come from in chapter 20, and then where we, Pastor Hans brought us last week in chapter 21. Chapter 20, you might remember the disciples after Christ's death and resurrection, they are scared and they don't know what to do. And we find them in chapter 20 behind locked doors. I don't know if you can read this, but on the evening of that day, the doors being locked where the disciples were in fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Then the disciples were glad and they saw the Lord. I mean, Christ had to come through a locked door because they were fear of their life. They were so scared. They didn't know what to do. They were greatly distressed. And through that locked door, he comes and gives them peace. This idea of shalom, completeness, wholeness. I'm here. I'm with you. What's well, interesting about that, that Christ doesn't leave them that state. He says one more thing to them. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you caught that in chapter 20. But not only did Christ come to them and bring him peace, he's already given them a charge. He's already given them a great commission. You guys get to experience the fullness and the restoration that I bring. You see them risen. You see them alive. You see them, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Now I'm sending you out. And it brought great joy to the disciples at this point. So as we go into chapter 21, we kind of expect in chapter 21 that these disciples are revved up, ready to go. Christ appeared to us. Christ came through that locked door. He gave us a charge, and we're ready to go. But what do we find in chapter 21? Instead of them being ready to go, being ready to proclaim Christ, they go back. They kind of fall back into their old ways. They're out going on, on the ship. They're going back fishing. They're going back to their old trade. Instead of going out and proclaiming Christ, they're out all night without any fish. They're discouraged. They didn't catch anything. And it's Christ. You see a little figure of Christ here in the background. Christ is saying, hey, remember what Pastor Hans taught us last week? Little children. Look, guys, have you guys caught anything all night? And once they put their net on the right side, they realize it's the Lord. And the Lord very graciously tells them, come on in, you guys. Come on in. My job with you is not quite finished. They're not quite at the point where they need to be yet. And in 21, we're going to find out how Christ restores them, particularly Peter in a way that they need to be restored. It wasn't enough that he appeared to them, <clears throat> appeared before them in the locked doors, told them that they're getting the Holy Spirit. We go through something now where they extend and receive grace. And when we receive grace in this way, it'll transform every area of our life. So we're going to cover three ways that that happened this morning. Simon versus Peter, basically the old man versus the new. No, Simon, where we found him, versus... Cephas, Petrus, Peter, the new man. Simon Peter exposed basically the sin. For some reason, God put sin on display in Peter's life. And we're going to make Peter kind of our role model for us this morning. And then lastly, we see how the new man is truly transformed, how Peter is truly transformed by what Christ does to him this morning. Let's go ahead and open, open up with a word of prayer. And we're at this point. Father, we're in this period of Lent. We're preparing and expecting and looking upon you. We sang words this morning talking about the ashes in our life. You'll turn into something beautiful. 
and we're looking expectantly toward Christ because our hope can be no other place than in Christ. As we approach your word this morning, may our hearts and our minds, let everything else in this world drop away. May we be centered upon your word, centered upon what we see Christ doing to Peter, learn why he does it, and find that same grace extended to us in our lives. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So I told you the first thing I talk about here is about Simon and Peter, kind of the old man versus new. So you guys know all these things. I just want to review it <clears throat> with you for a few moments. Matthew 14, you guys know this story. They're looking, uh, they're fishing out on the lake. And they look and they see, hey, it's a ghost. This ghost is coming toward us. Who's that guy? And they get kind of scared. And suddenly they recognize it's the Lord. And Peter, he's the guy, you know, he's the guy who always speaks up first. He goes, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. And we know two men in history that walk on water. And Peter's one of them. It's like, yeah, he takes his stuff out of the boat. And he does it. And he's walking, he's walking, he's going toward Christ. And that is Peter. That's the rock. He takes a stuff of faith that no other man in history had ever had done. He's doing it. And he's getting out there. And then all of a sudden, the wind and the waves get higher. And his attention comes off of Christ. He begins looking at the wind and the waves. And you know what happens. He begins to sink. Christ reaches down to him. And he says, why did you out so we see the old man new man out in the water the new man walking the old man sinking that's simon peter and if you understand that you understand simon peter because he has this duality in his life both this new and this old man let's go through another one this is from luke chapter 9 this is a very interesting passage luke chapter 9 james john and peter are with christ they're supposed to be praying but they fall asleep like normal they're falling asleep christ uh, praying and communing with his father. And all of a sudden, his face becomes altered. He becomes bright and white. And the next one, then two people. Remember who they are? Moses, Elijah. And we call this a transfiguration where something amazing happens. Peter, James, and John wake up like, wow, this is amazing. We're in the presence of Christ. We're in the presence of Moses. We're in the presence of Elijah. Everyone is glowing. This is what heaven is going to be like to get a glimpse of what it will be like when we're with these saints of old. And they are amazed. I mean, it transformed these guys. They get to see something that we won't see until um, the Lord calls us home. An amazing transfiguration. Remember what Simon does, what Peter does and instantly? Oh, man, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. Oh, Christ, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to build you three tents, one for you. One for Elijah, one for Moses. You know how many people are going to come here and they're going to remember you and they're going to see these great things? Let me just tell you, you know, this is going to be amazing. Everyone that comes here, Lord, and, and amazing what happens here. In the middle of Peter telling Christ what he's going to do for him, this cloud appears. And God says, this is my son. You know what he says after that? Basically, shut up and listen to him. Stop talking, Peter. Stop telling me what you're going to do. Stop telling me how great your, your monument's going to be, how big your tents are going to be, and listen to my son. You're in the presence of God right now. Get down on your knees and worship. Put your heart in the right place. And that's kind of the old Simon. Let me tell you. Let me show you. Let me tell you. I'm going to do this. And God is trying to get this out of Simon. He's saying, you know what, Simon? This is not the man I want you to be. He's got the right heart. We know Simon has a good heart. We know he's trying to do the right things, but he keeps stumbling over himself. He keeps getting in his own way. His pride and his arrogance don't let him be the rock, the Cephas that God intends him to be. 
Okay, so now we're going to today's passage. Today's passage, we see Peter again. Um, as I told you that Christ was having that breakfast with them right before that, again, Pastor Hans last week told us about this. They're in the boat. They've been fishing all night. I don't know how, boat the, how big these boats are, maybe half as big as this stage, 10, 12 feet. And after they've been fishing all night on this side, Christ tells them, if you move six feet over, if you just put your nets on the other side and the right side of the boat, you're going to catch all these fish. You think six feet over. Okay, the fish went over here in six feet, but if I move my nets over six feet, I'm going to catch all these fish. But somehow Peter decides to do this. It might have been Peter's boat. This might have been Peter's nets because that guy in shore, he told us to do it. Let's just do it. We've been out all night. And they move over to the other side of the boat. How many fish? 153. 153. It's an amazing, it's a miracle. Peter obeys Christ. And again, an amazing thing happens. He steps forward in faith, casts the net, and they can't even bring the net in. It's so full of fish. It's amazing. It's a miracle that happens here. That's Peter. That's Peter. Now, if you read carefully what Pastor Hans brought to us last week, it's kind of interesting what he does next. When Peter gets this, he realizes that's the Lord. There's only one guy in the world that can do this. That is the Lord on the shore. And the Lord is about 100 yards away. And he sees him out there. You can't really see this picture, but this is probably true. They probably don't have their shirts on. They've been fishing all night. They're probably in, the, in um, just, just uh, T-shirtless or maybe their T-shirts. I don't know what they were back then. But, Christ, uh, but Peter says, you know what? That's Christ. So he puts on his tunic. If you look at 21, he puts on his outer garment. And what does he do? He jumps in the water. He just jumps in fully. He goes, he, he gets fully dressed because I don't want to meet Christ without my shirt. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look good for Christ. But then he jumps in the water and he, and he swims a hundred yards. You know, he, and it's interesting because you look at this picture. I don't know if you can see the picture well, but the disciples are like trying to pull in the fish. He, he was supposed to be in a boat helping these guys pull in the fish. It's such a big culture miracle, but forget you guys. I'm going, I'm going ahead. And, and then you see the old Simon, you see old Peter jump in the water. I, I think this is right. I, I, I read that the world record for swimming 100 meters is 46.1 seconds. I mean, that is fast. But Peter is fully dressed. He's going in there, and somehow he still beats the ship in the shore. Maybe they're full of fish. But it's interesting that Peter, in his mind, feels, you know what? I'm not helping you guys. I'm not doing what Christ asked me to do, do fish anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going in, and I'm going to look good. I'm going to be dressed. I'm going in. That's the old Simon. Even in chapter 21, even in this epilogue that Pastor Hans brought us through last week, we still see the old Simon. It's still there. So that's where we're at today. It comes home a little bit more because for some reason, in this chapter, in 21, all the disciples in the same boat, all disciples, meaning they all betray Christ. They all denied Christ. They all fell short. But here in 21, it becomes more apparent that Christ is going to expose Peter's sin. Christ is going to point the finger at Peter or Simon, and it comes out very clearly. So this part, the second part of our message this morning is about Simon being exposed. And you can't really get around this. I, I pointed out a few. You guys know more stories about Simon and things that he's done, things he said, things he promised to do. And it goes back to chapter 13, right after the Last Supper. They're talking, and Christ is telling all these things that are going to happen to him. And in 13, Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. 
and other gospels say, if everyone else falls away, I'm not going to fall away. Peter distinguishes himself. I'm a little above, above these other guys, Christ. Hey, these guys, I don't know about these other 11, but me, I'm not falling away. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Peter makes it really clear. I'm a little bit better than everyone else. It doesn't take long as we get to chapter 21. Excuse me, chapter 18. Excuse me, chapter 18. When Christ is in the courtyard, he's trying to follow Christ in. That, I'm calling her lowly. She's not really lowly, but a little servant girl accuses Peter. This is this little girl. And immediately he falls apart. No, I never knew that, ma'am. I'm not part of that group. You got me wrong. Mis misidentification. A second time. No, I'm not one of the disciples. I don't belong in that group. And then the third time violently swears, I curse you. I do not know that man. Peter, three times in the face of adversity, denies Christ. When Christ needed him the most, when Christ was looking for someone to come alongside him. And you know at that time when the gospels record, soon as Peter says it the third time, Christ makes eye contact with him. The rooster crows. And Peter knows exactly what Christ prophesied had come true. At that point, what else can Peter do? He can't say any other words. He can't make any other claims. He can't tell Christ all the other things he's going to do. The only thing left for him to do is break down and cry. And you see scripture say it so clearly. He whipped, he wept bitterly. He was broken. It's exposed. There's nowhere else to hide. There's nowhere else to put his trust. He, he, he can't talk his way out of this. It's there for everyone to see. His Lord saw him, made eye contact him right when he denied him the third time. What else could, could be done at this point except face his sin, face his betrayal, and basically almost go into depression? We were singing about this this morning, and one of the songs was singing about we have, what else hope do we have? Where else can we turn? What else can we say? That there's no way that we can talk our way out of it. There's no way to fix it. And I'm going to tell you something that our world will not tell you. Our world says, you know what? Just give it some time. Just let some time go by. Time heals all wounds. And I think you and I know many bitter men who are very old, many bitter women who are very old, that time did not heal their wounds. Time does not heal all the wounds. We just can't bury our head in the sand and say, well, it'll be better next week. It'll be better next year. After this COVID's done, everything's going to get better. No, God never leaves us in that state. God just doesn't let time heal our wounds. Time does not heal our wounds. Time might make it more bitter. Time might make you more discouraged. But this is what we sang this morning, that God leave, never leaves us. God never leaves us in that state. When our sin is exposed, we have nowhere else to hide. We have no one else to turn to. Christ never leaves us that way. He will never leave us in that state. But he has to get us to that state. And we realize all of us are in that state. Okay, I'm taking you out of the sermon for a minute. I, I want you to help me think about something else for a moment. I've uh, been a lot of um, Marvel Universe, a lot of DC Universe coming to us. Uh, maybe otherwise, what is your favorite superhero? Superman, okay, there's one, DC. DC stands for Detective Comics, by the way. Do you know that DC, Detective Comics? Okay, anyone else? Wonder Woman, another DC one? No one likes Marvel? 
Spider-Man. Spider-Man Spider is Marvel. Marvel, Marvel Universe. Okay, good. Any other ones? No? Thor? Okay, that's good. Thor is Marvel. Okay. <laughs> Iron Man? Good. Hulk? All right. A lot of different things. You guys may admire the strengths and the uh, capacities they have, mutant abilities they might have, the superpowers they might have. Uh, I'll tell you one that I dislike a great deal, and it's the one that Julie mentioned. It's actually this guy, Superman. I don't like Superman. I don't like Superman. You know why I don't like Superman? Is because when they made Superman, this guy is super strength. He has, he's like basically invulnerable. He can fly. His eyes, not only can he see through things, he's got super distance. He can see things far away. He's got heat vision that can come out of his eyes. He can hear really far away. Even his breath, he's got super breath. He can, when Lois Lane and who's the other girl he likes? Um, uh, not Vicky, now that's Batman. Um, Lana, Lana Lang, Lana Lang. And they're both falling at the same time. He puts a finger in front of his mouth, blows, and, and his breast splits, and he can save Lois Lane and Lena, Lena Lang at the same time. And yeah, it's really amazing what he can do with that. And that breath also has can super free. He can freeze things with his breath. I mean, it's just ridiculous how many powers they gave him. And I didn't like that about Superman because he would always defeat the criminals. I read through this comic book, it's like, it's not even... It's not even drama in any of these books. You know, as you're reading these comic books, and every time it's just so easy for him to defeat the villains. But this is more interesting to me. What are Superman's weaknesses? Kryptonite. His home planet. When you get a little piece, of, even a small little piece, that can weaken him, a bigger piece, it can kill him. What else is he? What other weaknesses does Superman have? Red Sun. Red Sun will actually kill Superman. When he flew to a different universe and he encountered Red Sun, not only did it take away his superpowers, it would actually kill him. Those radiation from the red would kill him. So if he even away from the yellow sun too long, you guys remember? Loses superpower can actually die. Actually, he doesn't have the yellow sun as well. Yes? Two weaknesses? And it's interesting, as the DC comic people realize the same thing as me, that this guy is too invulnerable. No one was interested in following Superman anymore. He got more weaknesses. He is weak to magic. If you have magic, he is susceptible. If you have a psionic attack, if you have psionic powers and you have mental powers, you can attack him mentally. Lex Luthor can outsmart him. Lex Luthor, super genius, can, can devise traps that Superman cannot get out of. Super robots are so strong that they can overpower Superman. There's a lot more interest now that Superman has more weaknesses. And you guys haven't mentioned his greatest weakness of all. What is Superman's greatest weakness of all? Lois Lane. That's right. Lois Lane is his greatest weakness. You want to see Superman make stupid mistakes? You want to see Superman do stupid things? Put Lois in Lane. He goes gaga over Lois Lane. He falls apart. And, and it, to me, it's more interesting when we see he's not so super. Boy, this guy's got weaknesses. This guy's got flaws. It's very interesting to me, and we're more engaged with someone that has that because we're not super. And the more that we walk in this Christian life, we realize that we're not super Christians. But that's, that's Paul. Paul, what I consider the greatest apostle, who, who does he describe himself as? The chief sinner. The very good that I want to do, I do not do. The very sin to me, I don't want to do that sin, but I do it anyways. The godly men and women, the more they become Christ-like, the more weaknesses they see in their life, the more they realize I'm not super Christian. And the more times we realize, you know, these 
opportunities that I had in front of my life, I forfeited them. I could have made the right decisions. I could have done the right things, but I messed up again. That becomes more and more realistic when we look at this. And it's the point that I believe that Peter was at, that he got pushed so far, he couldn't talk his way out of it, he couldn't show his way out of it, he couldn't proclaim I'm better than everyone else. He is at the point, and I hope that many of us are at that point this morning, that we are weak, we're frail, we're not super Christians. We don't do our devotions every day. We're not here with joy every time we come to the sanctuary. There's things in our life I wish I wouldn't have done. We can't really cover them anymore. And we hate being at that point. That's a terrible point to be at. But it might be the right point. It might be the right way for us to look at our lives. It might be the point that God exactly wants us to be. And I hope we don't miss that. When we look at Peter, we point the finger at Peter. Look at that guy. Well, you know, we're... We're supposed to be looking. Peter is us, every one of us that knows the Lord. I hate to tell you guys, but now the sermon's just starting. We're just getting to 21 now. Now the sermon's here. This is it, point number three. Okay, well, I'm point number three, Pastor Hans. See, I'm actually there at three. <laughs> okay, so this is the last one about Simon Transformed. Let's go back to what we read this morning. The passage we read this morning says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is important. Christ knew the most important meal of the day, breakfast. That's right. So Christ gave them breakfast. He's, he's ready to go. He got the most important meal. What does he say? Here we go. Simon, son of John. Hmm. You guys pick up something here? Well, what was this guy's name again? Peter. Oh, Stephens. What does that mean again? Petrus. What does that mean again? rock what do you do just call me didn't you just say in chapter one of john when he first calls peter he says you are simon but from now on you're gonna be known as cephas he established that chapter one did christ suddenly forget in chapter one what he named this guy 20 chapters later why does he go back and say simon son of god you know my child my you know my, my beloved Simon, son of John. There's something here that Christ is recalling the old man. You know what, Peter? You're still this old man. And I'm just reminding you where you come from. Remember this exposure we just took a long time to expose. I'm just bringing it out again. I think it's pretty raw in here, but Christ reopens that wound. And what does he say? Do you love me more than these? What is Christ trying to do here? What is Christ establishing right here and now? So we see Christ. He's coming in. Come on in and have breakfast, everybody. There's seven disciples here. Seven disciples. Peter is one of them. And he asks him a question. And I don't think he's single. I don't think Christ pulled him aside like, hey, uh, Peter, come over here. I got something. I'm going to talk with you one-on-one. -on -one. I think this is done in the presence of all the other six disciples. I think it's right here. Do you, 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 Simon, you, you, love me more than these? It's a pretty tough question. It's not so good because all these guys are kind of watching. Like I think their heads are down. I think they're old man. Here it goes. Okay. <laughs> Everyone knows what they just did. I mean, it's obvious. Everybody, everybody knows. So it's a pretty tough question. And Christ is sticking it to Peter right now. And he's hitting him pretty hard. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this fire, this warmth, the safety of this, you know, this lifestyle? Do you love me more than these other six disciples? 
And I think Peter's heart is beating. He's like, oh man, oh man, this is tough. This is tough. Christ might have been pointing to even more. You love me more than these 153 fish. You love me more than this boat that you had. You probably worked your whole life to get this boat, Peter. You love me more than this boat. This boat represents your livelihood. This boat represents your security, your money in life. This is how you are going to subsist for the rest of your life. You love me more than this? I don't know about you, but this is not a question I'm ready to answer in front of Christ. In front of my six friends. This is tough. What do you think Peter's going to say? What could you say at this point? You think, well, Peter always has something to say. <laughs> you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth, right? You don't know how this guy's going to answer. What can I say? What can I do? Christ knows. He knows everything going on in So Peter just throws it out there. Here he goes. Okay, here we go. I'll just say it. He said, Lord, you know. You know, Lord. You're my guy. You know, you and me. We, we go a long way back, right? Lord, you know. You know. You know that I love you. And that's a pretty good answer. I mean, it's, it's a better answer than I could give. I, I'd, I'd have a hard time answering Christ right now. Maybe a month ago, Christ, I can answer this. But right now, this is pretty tough. I, I don't think you're right. Peter comes up with a pretty good answer. And I think it's, a, it, it's wonderful that he says, and, and I, I'm just again, thinking that maybe Christ, you know, after all that trauma of that crucifixion, maybe a short-term memory. Maybe he doesn't remember what I just did to him in the courtyard. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get away with it. You know, he, uh, uh, you know, I love you. You, you know, you know, you know, it's established. You know, we go way back. And I think what's going to happen next, right? I mean, Peter lays it out there. I think all of a sudden I was like, oh, Peter, that was, uh, Peter, you, uh, you, you, oh, Peter, you, <laughs> I mean, I think all the disciples are just thinking, what is Christ going to say? So here it is. Christ says to him, Christ says to him, Peter, how many times did you repent? How many times did you ask forgiveness for what you did? Peter, how much penance did you do? Peter, how many good things did you do to offset what you did to me in the courtyard? That is what we're expecting. That's what Peter deserves. That's what all of us deserve. You know what? You did something really bad. You know what you did. Make it good. You make this up to me. We're not friends until you get this right. You don't do that to me. You don't ever do that to me. And that's what we say. And that's what's in our heart. Isn't it? Every one of us has that. We probably said that to someone. You're not my friend. You showed me you're not your friend. You wouldn't do that to me. That hurts. That really hurts. So what does Christ say? Feed my lambs. Wow. Feed my lambs. Whoa. Whoa. What? You don't remember? You really don't remember Christ? You you really not going to bring that up again? You mean it's in the past? Oh, man. Petrus is back, man. I'm the rock, man. Look at me. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm in good with Christ. This is it, man. Oh, that was tough. Okay, let's go on. Anyone fish sandwiches? Let's go. Let's move on. Let's go on with life. We're ready to go. We're ready to go. Right? And we think about that. And then it comes back again. Here it is. Peter's thinking, Peter's like looking Christ eye contact and okay, Christ, I'm next. How about me? I'm ready. I'm ready. Right? But he goes back to Peter again. Peter again. Do you, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's thinking, uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's coming back again. Uh, well, I got away with it once. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. Here we go. Okay. You know what, Christ? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know 
that I love you. And I think at this point, he's kind of thinking, maybe I come up with something better. Maybe this goes away. But I, I admire Peter. Peter. Peter says he sticks with his guns. And he is beginning to make his contact with Christ. And he says it, right? And I think he's learning, too. In times past, I think Peter would have tried. I'm going to come out in the water with you. I'm going to build the tents for you. Everyone else falls away. I'm going to do it. I think he would have tried to build himself up. Try to say, you know what? Okay, it's on me. It's on me now. I'm going to do it. But thankfully, he says, you know what? I love you. I love you. Now, I'm not getting this week. Next week, Pastor Hans will teach you the different words here about love and love. There's two different Greek words. Christ is using one and Peter's using another. And that'll come out next week. But what Christ says here, again, very gently, very kindly, take your eyes off of yourself. Stop telling me all the things you're going to do. Stop telling me all the things that you're about. Stop telling me what, how better you are than everyone else. Put your eyes on my sheep. Start loving people the way that I love people. Start looking in the world through my eyes. Start seeing things in the way that I see things. Stop being the old Simon and start looking around you and seeing what I'm doing. Building a kingdom is not about you, Simon. It's about me and my kingdom. And Christ is drilling it in a little bit deeper, a little bit more. He's pounding on Simon's chest. So you guys know what happens next. It comes a third time. And I don't know what the disciples are thinking now. I don't know what's going through Simon Peter's mind now. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's on you, Peter, now. Peter's like, okay, I don't have anywhere else to go. But this time, John gives us some insight into Peter's heart. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And that's pretty tough. He gets it. He realizes Christ is after him. There's something here that's going on, and it hurts my heart. I don't feel really good right now. I'm grieved. My friend, he's sticking me right now. My Lord, he's trying to teach me. So I don't know if Peter understands at this moment, but he sticks with it and says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Christ, coming back again, says to him, feed my sheep. So let's take a step back. Think, what is happening here? What is happening in, in this engagement between Simon and Peter? And I'm going to concentrate right now on the number three. Three times, Christ did the same thing. Second time, third time, three times. What do you guys know about number three in scripture? Three is one of the signs of wholeness, of completeness, of harmony. We sang earlier about shalom, about peace. Three days, Christ is in the ground before he comes alive. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three times, we see one attribute of God Holy, holy, holy. It's a sign of perfection. It's complete. We see three in scripture. We pretty much know things are complete. So you take a step back and you think, well, Christ did this three times. Once, twice, third time. You know what? It's done. It's complete. It's restored. This is done once and for all. There's a perfection to it. Simon, I'm turning your ugliness into something beautiful. I'm turning your shame into something I can use. This humiliation and the sin in your life, I'm bearing it forever and making you mine. 
There's something changing here. It's the fact that there's nothing that Simon Peter could ever do in his life that could separate him from the love of the Lord Jesus. There's no betrayal. There's nothing that he could do that would ever separate him from the Lord his God. And Christ just confirmed that. You've done the worst thing in history. No man in history had ever done what Peter had done to Christ's face in his presence. Nothing was ever that horrific. That his best friend, his friend there, turned on him, betrayed him. And Christ turns around and says, you know what? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. There's nothing you can do now that will ever separate him from you. And I'm confirming it right now. This is complete restoration. This is the completion of what Christ wanted to do in Peter's life as far as restoration goes. Now, there's much more sanctification that needs to go on. No doubt about that. I'm telling you right now, Peter, you understand how deep my love is for you. Nothing will ever separate me from your love. Okay, I'm going to shift gears again. Uh, we talk about the old Peter jumping out. Can we talk about the new beauty that comes out of this transformation? Okay, shift gears. I haven't talked to you about dentistry for a long time. Let's talk about Nanette. This is Nanette. She came in and she's very embarrassed. Oh, let me see. It's me. It's slide. No, this is good. Okay. Nanette is very embarrassed. She said, Doctor, I'm very ashamed of my teeth. I, I don't really want you to see it, but it's been over 10 years since I've seen a dentist. I, I, I just have to come and see you now. I'm in pain. I don't know what to do. I look in her mouth and I'm thinking, oh, okay. that's not too bad. Uh, I see his teeth. I, I see some decay. I see some things going on. We see some fractures. Um, but we can work. Then I looked a little more closely. I didn't, I didn't even look at her lower teeth. This is her lower teeth. Her lower teeth have been worn down, not only through attrition, but through decay. There's broken tissue. I'm sorry, there's broken uh, crowns here. The tissue's inflamed. There's infection underneath the gum tissue. Um, and there's a wire basically holding all these things together. And I said, Nanette, we got to get some x-rays. I got to see what's going on underneath here. I take the x-rays. It's even worse. In the middle picture of the x-ray, that big black spot between the white, the white is artificial teeth being held up there. The black is empty space. The teeth are so decayed. There's no tooth between what you see in that picture up above and those roots down below. Those roots are basically decaying and rotten and they're causing her infection underneath there. If you look in the left and right x-rays, there are um, decay, fractures, um, need for root canals. And I'm seeing it's basically going to be um, some teeth are hopeless, some teeth can be restored, but this is basically what we call a whole mouth restoration. I have to restore everything. So what dentists do at this point, they have two options, basically. The more mature you are, I didn't know this early in my dentist career, I just kind of like tried to do dental work, but as I take more seminars, I learn from my father, you actually stop and you pause at this moment. And really wise dentists, really experienced dentists say, you know what, Nanette, there's a lot going on in here. They're compassionate. These dentists are compassionate, but they say, you know what? I'm not going to work on your mouth. I'm not going to do a thing. I'm like, what? Why? I, I need this fixed. Because you've demonstrated to me that you can't take care of your teeth. There's plaque. There's lack of dental care. You're not handling things well. If I restore your teeth, they're just going to fall apart again. You have to demonstrate to me that you're going to take care of your teeth. You show me. We're going to do a plaque score in 30 days. You come back here. We're going to put a red, red disclosing thing on your teeth, and there's too much plaque. We're not doing the restoration. 
You come back in 60 days and you show me your brushing technique, demonstrate to my hygienist that you're brushing well. You tell me when your sugar content is done and when you're brushing and how much your caloric intake is of the carbohydrates. And we go through all this stuff. Dentists are very wise. They, you think we, we don't know these. We, we know when you're flossing and not flossing and brushing. We, we have ways to detect this. And after 90 days, you demonstrate that you can take care of your teeth. Then I will restore your teeth. That's actually a very wise dentist. And that's very interesting that um, that's not what Christ did. Christ says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead, Nanette. You have some problems in your teeth, and we go in. So in this particular case, I, I told her these things. We need to increase your oral hygiene. We need to get you on a regular hygiene schedule. We're going to change how much sugar you're taking in at home. We're going to do this. So we were working with her, but I did not wait those 90 days. I went ahead and said, we're going to do this. And we extracted out the hopeless teeth. I started doing the root canals. We started rebuilding some of the foundation of the other teeth. And then I did something called an ideal wax up. So those white teeth that you see on that picture are superimposed on those broken teeth. So I send the lab an impression of those broken teeth. And I tell my lab, make these teeth ideal, make them the perfect height, perfect size, perfect width. And these are ideal. Those are built right on top of her teeth. I take an impression that and make a little press form. So it's like a little template. These are perfect teeth now. And so after I've done all the root canals, all the extractions and we're in place, I don't tell my patient I'm doing this by the way, it's interesting. I have this made and, and the foundation is set. And then what I do is I fill it with acrylic. I just fill it with acrylic and I press it over her teeth. Okay, and then I don't say too much. I said, Nanette, I'd like you to see something. And, and I give her the mirror and she looks and her teeth are the right height. Her teeth are restored. She doesn't see any decay. She's been working a little bit better now. So she, her gum tissue is healthier. She doesn't see the bleeding tissues anymore. And she's speechless. It's like, Dr. Ott, where did all these teeth come from? What happened to my teeth? Where are my broken teeth? What happened to my decay? I said, Nanette, this is a picture of what we can do for you. This is temporary, but it's going to be something to shoot for. And what do you think happens next? What do you think Nanette does next? She becomes an evangelist. She begins to tell other people the good news. My teeth can be saved. I can, you know what? She tells her grandchildren, you know what? You need to start taking care of your teeth. You know what? You need to take care of it. You know what? You don't want to be in the same place where I was because my teeth are very broken. I had to go through all this, but look at them now. So her teeth are the right height. What happens when you lose vertical dimension in your teeth, you become like an old granny. Like your, your teeth cave in. So when I increase the vertical dimension of her height, her smile becomes bigger. She sees her teeth. She looks younger because her jawline doesn't overclose anymore. And she's smiling all the time. Her life is transformed. And I did it. It's all me. It's all me. But that's in the dental world. That's in the dental world. Let's go back now and think, oh, this is kind of final pictures of what I've been telling you about. We do complete the picture. And I believe her life is transformed. She does become that person that she always wanted to be. I helped her in this particular case, but it's her job now to take care of that restoration, sanctify that, to live it out day in and day out. Now, I'm going to tell you in this story that Christ is more like this dentist, this person that just restores things. He doesn't wait. But there are times when God in his wisdom says, wait the 30 days, wait the 60 days. You know, you're not ready to get married yet. You're not ready for a girlfriend yet. I'm going to work on you. You might be a couple of years. God is sometimes that God too. He does both. God is much wiser than your dentist. God knows when to make you wait. But there's other times when God gives you grace right now restores something that you didn't deserve restored. 
That's what I want to kind of close with today. That the fact that God brings us peace. He tells us, you know, don't be worried. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And he brings us that peace, that wholeness, and he makes us whole, even when we don't deserve it. So I told you earlier, he's taking the ashes of our life and making it beautiful. He's doing all that. And yet he's asking us to feed his sheep. And earlier we told out, you know, when he had the Holy Spirit, that we're go out, we're to be evangelists, true evangelists, sharing the good news of what Christ has done. And I'm sending you out today with that same message. Feed my sheep. Be that evangelist. Share with others what God has done for you. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time this morning to be in your word. How easy it is to point our finger at Peter and see the sin in his life. Maybe point at other family members, point at other people in this room and see the sin in their life and totally miss the picture of what you've done in our lives. How gracious and kind and merciful and patient and forgiving that you've been to me, to every one of us in this room that knows you. May this lesson not be lost. May not be forgotten. May it be lived out in our life every day. That if you've turned our ashes into beauty, you've turned something ugly into something gracious and forgiven, that we learn to feed your lambs, to love others before ourselves. Pray these things in your name. Okay, turn time back over to Matt and Hannah.